Nearly 18,000 non-American Redditors responded to the question, what's the weirdest thing about America that Americans don't realize is weird? One Canadian said, the raptor-sized turkey legs at amusement parks are weird. Drive-through everything baffled some. Drive-through food, banks, coffee shops, liquor, ammunition stores, drive-through wedding chapels. One responder said that it's weird that Americans always smile at strangers. Grape-flavored products that taste nothing like grapes, I guess is unique to America. The gaps between doors at public restrooms, I guess is a weird thing that only happens in America. Every country has their courts that are very bizarre to outsiders. A set of norms, expectations, and ethics that are not normal to, to other cultures. The kingdom of God is no different. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we enter into the kingdom of God. We become kingdom citizens. And within this kingdom, there's a certain ethic a set of cultural norms that many in the world find peculiar or outright weird. In Matthew 5, we find the Sermon on the Mount, a famous sermon where Jesus lays out the ethical expectations of God's kingdom citizens. It's, it's responsibilities as kingdom citizens and the privileges of being a kingdom citizen and those who belong to this kingdom community. So turn to Matthew 5. Have Matthew 5 in front of you this morning. Again, we have Bibles in the back. If you do not have a Bible, a physical Bible, uh, please take that either now or keep it. If you don't have where you can just use it and put it back. This is a famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus lays out what he desires for his kingdom people. He's talked about repentance. He's called the disciples to him. And he withdraws from the crowd and then he teaches his disciples on a mountainside. Go to Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 1 through 12. Autumn read it, we're going to read it again. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So it's Jesus with his disciples. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. These, these terms are synonymous. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you. Because of me, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, 
A few things to discuss before we jump fully into this passage. To understand this passage, we need to go back to last week and again define the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. If you want to write down anything, it'll probably be a small group question again this week. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. It's the rule and reign of God. And in one sense, God is the kingdom over all the universe. He's sovereign. But in a more direct sense, he he rules and reigns. In a specific sense, he rules and reigns over those who have put their faith and trust in him. And so we see the kingdom manifested in the hearts of those who submit to God's authority. So where God is acknowledged, where people are saved, where his ways are obeyed, we see the kingdom. We talked about it. It's an already but not yet kingdom. Look at, look at verse three. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is an inclusio. Everything in between is about the kingdom, but what's the tense of these verbs of being? Is, present. The kingdom belongs to them already. But yet if you look at four through nine, what's the tense of the verb of being? Will. It will be them. So it's an already, but not yet kingdom. We, we may already taste comfort, satisfaction, peace under God's rule in this life, but the main course, the fullness of God's rule and reign is yet to come. Furthermore, some believe that the Beatitudes teach salvation by works. No, so, so for you to inherit the kingdom, you have to be merciful. So you must first be merciful and gentle and peacemaking. Then, then you will inherit the kingdom of God. And only then. We do not hold to that view. Luther said, Christ is saying nothing in this sermon about how we become Christians, but only the works and fruit that no one can do unless he is already a Christian and in a state of grace. So this entire sermon, it presupposes an acceptance of the gospel. New life has already occurred. This applies for people who've already been transformed by Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus is proclaiming this to who? Who is he teaching here? Lost people? No, his disciples. People who are already following him, he's teaching them the realities of kingdom living. And in fact, the idea of salvation coming through faith and grace and not by works is found in the very first beatitude. Look at verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, blessed, many people can abuse this and say blessed can mean you know, financial prosperity. And that can, that can be a blessing. Um, that's not guaranteed that if you obey God, he's going to uh, make your bank account overflow. We do not believe that. Some of you have been like, man, then what's going on in my life? Um, you know, I'm trying to be faithful. Uh, it must be my issue. We, we don't believe that. Blessed can also be translated as to happy or fortunate. 
I like the term fortunate. Fortunate. The poor in spirit. It could be congratulations to the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the question here is, what does it then mean to be poor in spirit? It's to acknowledge our spiritual powerlessness and bankruptcy apart from Christ. It's not saying I'm insignificant or I'm worthless. It's a confession that we are utterly dependent on Christ's work for our salvation, for our daily sustenance, and for growth. That is, that is the essence of the gospel. I need you to save me because I'm a sinner. I need you to grow me. I need your spirit to work in my life because I cannot be more Christ-like on my own. Well, Sarah, you're holding a, sorry to point you out, but you're holding a baby with the president's name. Is that Theodore? Yes. Theodore. Uh, they have Henry, Lincoln, and Theodore, and so all president's names. That baby is, is helpless to survive on its own. It needs to be fed. It needs to be taken care of. It needs food given to that child to grow. It can't prep its own meals. It'd be awesome <laughs> if it could. But it's just to acknowledge our, our helplessness before God. And guess what? Our, our culture does not celebrate the poor in spirit. Those who acknowledge their need for, for God to work, for, for something outside of them to work in their lives. How many of you watch Shark Tank? I love Shark Tank. One of my favorite shows. I want to make something uh, we, we have an entrepreneur in here. You're making, so let's go on Shark Tank, man. Uh, in the beginning of Shark Tank, it always starts like this. Introducing our sharks. Self-made billionaire, Kevin O'Leary. Self-made billionaire, Mark Cuban. And that's kind of the theme of, of the sharks. They, they pulled up their own, own bootstraps. They're self-made. Being self-made holds no weight in the kingdom of God. We are made alive by Christ's work in our life. Scripture celebrates those who acknowledge their need before God. Kingdom citizens are poor in spirit. We must understand this beatitude for it relates to others. Look at verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, mourn over. This is what? Does this mean I got to be sad all the time? Are, are, are we not allowed to party and celebrate and have fun and laugh as Christians? That is not what this is saying here. Uh, above all others, we should be celebrating for what Christ has done in our lives. So, so, so what does it mean to mourn here? Let me just say this. Humans tend to mourn over the most trivial of matters. Things cause us grief that shouldn't cause us grief. Like I've seen grown men's entire weekends ruined because their sport team didn't perform. And their weekends are they're ruined. You know, honey, don't talk to me. Daddy, can you read me this book? Not right now. I'm going through something. <laughs> and we mourn over things that won't matter in a thousand years. We, we mourn over things that won't matter in a hundred years. We mourn over things that won't matter in 48 hours. Mourning here is, is mourning over sin. Social sin, what we see out in the world, and our own personal sin. We mourn over the brokenness we see in the world, the way people treat each other. 
divisiveness, war. Whenever we see sin harm people, abuse, manipulation, it's okay to, to watch the news and mourn over our broken world. But we're also over to mourn over our personal sin. Our own fleshly attitude, selfishness, pride, self, self-glorification. Cruelty that, that we put on others. We mourn for our own sin, yet we, we do that knowing that God has and will continue to comfort us as kingdom citizens. Our mourning should never drown out our hope. Now, there's some of us who don't mourn at all for our sin. Eh, not that big of a deal. And there are some of us who live in shame. We, we mess up and we constantly beat ourselves up and we feel like we have to now do something good for God to kind of balance it out. That's legalism. That's dangerous. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so we mourn, but we mourn with hope because of the gospel. That, that we can have victory over sin, that our sin is forgiven, and that one day all sin will be erased and its consequences. The gospel of forgiveness has set us free today and one day we will no longer suffer sin's destruction. Look at verse five. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness or frailty or indecisiveness or a lack of toughness. We need more tough people in our world today. But it's a humility before God that drives us to be humble with others. It's a willingness to make yourself less for the sake of God and others. A meek person, I want you to get this, is not a doormat, but someone who regularly displays empathy, care, and patience with others because God has shown them those things. It says, the meek and humble will inherit the earth. The meek and humble will inherit the earth. The world says, no, the meek will get picked last. You know, if you're patient, you're going to get pushed aside. If you're compassionate, if you're not self-serving, you're going to get kicked to the back of the line by somebody who's going to take the bulls by the horn or take the bull by the horns. But the kingdom of God is very different from, from the way our world works. That may work in corporate America for a time, but even if it gets you to the top, you ain't going to stay at the top <laughs> acting like that. Those who will rule and reign with Christ in the kingdom will be those who are tough but gentle, full of empathy, compassion, patience, and humility. The meek will rule with Christ. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We, we really don't know what hunger is in the United States. I don't care what diet you're on, unless you're starving yourself. You know, if you've had to cut carbs uh, this season as you're new, that's not real hunger. We're, we're to hunger and thirst for righteousness like a starving person yearns to be satiated. Kingdom citizens yearn for righteousness, both social and personal. 
They seek justice, freedom from the oppressed, integrity in business dealings. They feed the poor. They take care of those who need to be taken care of, widows and orphans. But we should also hunger and thirst for personal righteousness, conforming our lives to God's will through his word, prayer, and obedience. That's when I ask the question, do you hunger for righteousness? I mean, I know our service is, is oddly timed, 10 a.m. It's to give you a little bit of a break. Then you get out of here, you can go to lunch. And I know some of you are like at 11 o'clock, man, I'm getting hungry. Better wrap this thing up, Skimbry. <laughs> you, you hungry? Yeah, I understand. I'm hungry too. But what if, what if as much as we complain about hungry, we, we, we yearn and, and hunger for righteousness? We, we leave here hungry to be righteous and hunger to right wrongs when we step out of this church. Not just I can't wait to go to Chili's, but I desire to do what, what God wants me to do today, here, and now, and in my community. Look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is really just compassion for people in need. And here's what most of us don't like about this. Jesus doesn't qualify who deserves mercy. It doesn't matter if they're hungry, sick, or overcome by disaster. It doesn't matter if it's a friend, enemy, or if you combine those things together, what do you get? A frenemy. Uh, mercy overflows for God's people. Kingdom citizens show mercy because they know mercy has and will come in abundance for them. This mercy is not conditional. We don't wait for people to be merciful to us. Then I'll be merciful to you. We treat people better than they deserve to be treated. Because that is what Christ has, has done for us. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There are two nuances here to, to purity. We've talked about this a little bit before in James. James talked about purity a, a lot as well. We're to pursue moral purity because we love Jesus so much we should flee from things that affect our heart for him or dilute our love for him and there's many things in our life that 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 cause us to to stumble in that regards pornography pornography vulgar gossip disingenuousness, violent anger, jealousy, covetousness, materialism. These things dilute our love for God. In addition, this purity of heart can mean single-minded devotion to God. Our commitment to Him is pure. The kingdom citizen who pursues moral purity, the one who is pure, single-minded in their devotion to God. Their eyes will be clear and they will see God in this life and fully in the next. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. I don't like this question, but at home with your wife or husband, with your children, brothers and sisters, with your parents, with your coworkers, online, social media, we are called to seek peace. We are called to be peacemakers. 
Our world is divided by political lines, race, how to vote, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, all the amendments. We fight over how to parent our children, what foods to eat or avoid. You're eating eggs? Yeah, eggs are good for you. No, they're not. Well, a new study came out. Well, this study came out, and we fight over it. We fight over the most trivial of things. Name any topic. Name any topic or issue. Somebody, name any topic or issue. Just spit out something. I don't care what it is. Any topic. Guns. Guns. Well, I mean, come on, Larry. That's an easy one. (laughs) Easy one. That's an easy People, yeah, yeah. Let's go a little harder. A little harder. Something a little harder. What's another issue or topic? What? What'd you say? Grain. Grain? Ukraine. Oh, come on, guys. This is it. People fight over that. They're justified. They're not justified. People all over the world. Let's say peanut butter. The Chiefs. The Chiefs. Yeah. Not much to argue about there, Wes. The Broncos. There are people right now, online, on the radio, around the world, fighting about what the Broncos need to do next season. Fighting about which peanut butter is better, creamy or crunchy. Like we just, we fight over the the stupidest of things, and, and we fight over things that matter. But above all, we're called to be peacemakers. With your rhetoric and your, your actions, do you build bridges or moats? I'm going to say that again. With your rhetoric and actions, do you build bridges or do you build moats that separate you from other people? Verse 10 and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Seems to be somewhat of a a shift here. Talking about being merciful, they're going to get the kingdom kind, gentle, compassionate, humble. The kingdom of God is theirs. They'll, they'll see God. Those who seek righteousness, and he switches to persecution and, and, and suffering. And here's why I think why. All the, all the characteristics Jesus labels blessed are not virtues that are normally celebrated in our world today. Hostility will come if you live out your kingdom citizenship. Expect to be misunderstood. Expect to be viewed as a questionable entity to others. To be lied about, mocked. Now, if you're persecuted for being a jerk, that is your fault. You're a jerk. But if you're persecuted for pursuing righteousness, you're persecuted for having integrity, if you're persecuted and made fun of and mocked for for being patient and and compassionate, you're in good company. (laughs) You're in good company. Saints have and, and are being tortured, murdered, killed, framed, mocked, and ridiculed, but there's a promise. There's a promise here of hope for kingdom citizens who undergo persecution. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
kingdom of heaven is theirs. Here's, here's my big idea today, if you write down anything. Kingdom living is countercultural. It just is. The world says to be selfish, domineering. That's what leads to success. Kingdom life is about staying humble. The world says, watch your back. Kingdom life is about watching your neighbor's back. Our culture says the world is full of enemies. Kingdom life is about peacemaking. Kingdom life is, is countercultural. I also believe kingdom living is what leads to human flourishing. I'm going to say that again. I also believe kingdom living, the way of Christ, these beatitudes, they actually lead to joy, peace, contentment, human flourishing. Jesus says he came to give us abundant life. He says, my yoke is light. I believe the Beatitudes are a path to freedom and, and flourishing. Sometimes we look at the way of Jesus as restricting. This is going to limit the amount of fun that I get to have in life. This is going to limit my joy, but it's the exact opposite. It's a way to joy and freedom and peace and flourishing. It doesn't mean bad things are not going to happen in your life, but even if something bad happens in your life, there can be joy, peace, contentment, and flourishing. That's right. It's as if the kingdom of God is a, a powerful stream that believers have been swept up into. And the Beatitudes and the rest of the, the Sermon on the Mount Give us a way to swim with the current instead of against it. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to be honest with yourself. Does it feel like you're swimming against the current? Does it feel like you're swimming against the current of life? I do at times. I feel off. I get sad about nothing, anxious about everything. And that makes me short-fused. I, I tend to rely on my own gifts. Then I get argumentative when things don't work out. I'm proud. I get impatient. And when, when I live that way, I feel like I'm in one of those, one of those uh, pools that the water shoots one way and you're trying to swim the other. It just feels off. And if that's you, here, here's what I encourage you to do. Come back, come back, come back to the Sermon on the Mount. Come back to the Beatitudes. Don't look at them as areas of your life you must fix on your own to make God happy. Do not do that. Don't, don't walk away and say, I'm going to be a stinking humble, merciful peacemaker for God today. I'm going to grit my teeth and make peace and be meek and kind. That's going to lead to frustration and failure. Look at the Beatitudes and say, where can I grow? Because it's not about exterior transformation. It's about inner heart transformation and renewal. Right. Really, really ask yourself, look, look at these this week. Take a look at these and go, go where, where can I grow? Let's say it's with peacemaking. Let's say you're just a hostile and defensive 
person. You assume the worst in others. You're ready to fight. Spend time in prayer. I really want you to encourage you to spend time in prayer, asking God to help you understand what is causing that pattern in your life. Why am I so defensive? Why am I so quick to argue? Is it fear? Is it a lack of of trust in God, hopelessness for the future? Is it insecurity? Then take that, that heart thing and with a poor spirit, remember poor spirit? With a spirit that acknowledges you need God to work in your life, ask him, will you help me in this area? Shape me into a peacemaker. Change me. Transform me. And pray that prayer with hope. Understanding the riches God has lavished on you and Christ. The privileges of citizenship in his kingdom that comes through faith in Christ's death and resurrection. And then the call to live as his treasured people. Amen? Let's pray.